All right, well, grab your Bibles and open them up to Proverbs chapter 8. We are continuing in this series through Proverbs, this this, uh, series on wisdom passed on. When we began this series, I explained that the way we're doing this is we're going through what are sort of the, the narrative portions, as I call them, the first uh, nine chapters of the book, and then um, taking chapters 10 through 29, which are the short little proverb sayings, and using those to sort of um, fill out as supporting content. So we're, we're beginning chapter 8 today, we'll go through chapter 9, um, and then we're going to skip forward and do three sermons from the last two chapters of the book. All this to say, after today, we have six more sermons in Proverbs, and that's going to take us right up into the Christmas season. Um, Now, last week, uh, we got a description of the adulterous woman, um, and we said that she was a metaphor for the temptation to sin, which is to say all of the ways that this woman seduces the young man in, in Proverbs is the way, or mirrors the ways, in which we are enticed to turn away from God. And so in chapter 7, the main message is avoid. But as we all know, we need more than just a message to abstain. We can't just live our lives running away from things. We need to know what it is that we should be seeking. And so we come to chapter 8 here today. It's going to give us the alternative. And the alternative is also embodied in a female character. Her name is Lady Wisdom. Now, as we've been going through Proverbs, it's kind of bounced back and forth um, quite a few times between warning us away from folly and then encouraging us to uh, pursue wisdom. And it does this over and over and over because these two sides, avoid and pursue, um, act with one another to help guide us through this life. And I'll show you what I mean. Um, first, knowing what to avoid helps us to prioritize what to pursue. That is, if we know um, that temptation will work on us a specific way, then we can intentionally shore up those parts of our life. If we know where we are weak, if we know where we are bound to fall, then we can actually work on those areas to be able to pursue what's good. Knowing what to pursue then also motivates us to avoid. I said last week that if you desire a healthy and happy marriage, if that is the ultimate goal in Well, not the ultimate goal in your life, but certainly the ultimate goal when it comes to um, your marriage. If that's what you pursue, if that's what you put your effort into, then the lure or the draw of the prostitute will be far less alluring. If you're looking for a prostitute, a prostitute will be very tempting. Um, If you care about your marriage, a prostitute will be seen as something that is simply a destruction of what is good. Along with this, knowing what to avoid gives us the time and energy to pursue what is good. Um, I spoke at the men's retreat this week about distractions from godliness. And one of the major issues with distractions is that they simply swallow up life. Right? Distractions aren't necessarily bad things. They're not things that we look at and are like, evil. They just take time away from better things. And so avoiding frees us up to be able to do what is best. Along with this, knowing what to pursue clarifies for us what to avoid. That is to say, the Bible doesn't give us every single moment of life, every single description of what to avoid. It doesn't tell us how to respond in every possible thing that we might run into. This life requires discernment. And often the best, time to dis- the best way to decide what isn't worth your time is by knowing what is. And so when Paul 
wants to provide the Philippians with a rubric to navigate life, he doesn't just give them a list of what not to do. He gives them the positive. In Philippians 4, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So when you set your mind to what is true and honorable and just and pure, then you will be be prepared to discern what is not. And so again, we have this back and forth. Avoid, pursue, avoid, pursue. And this isn't just about looking at two sides of the coin or viewing the same ideas from different vantage points. The reason why Proverbs does this over and over and over is because it wants to work these ideas into us. It wants to make sure that wisdom is not just an idea or a a worthy endeavor. But the, the writer of Proverbs is trying to press this in until it becomes our reflex. Until wisdom becomes sort of the natural response that we have. Because wisdom only benefits us when we know it and trust it and apply it. Wisdom is only going to be passed on to the next generation when we have fully embraced it ourselves. So the father in Proverbs, caring a great deal about how his son thrives, and a God who is concerned with the flourishing of his whole creation, but his people in particular, keeps pressing on what to pursue and what to avoid so that we can become a people who can apply truth no matter where life takes us. And this issue of applying wisdom is going to be the focus of this sermon. Now, the word that Proverbs uses to describe sort of the application of wisdom is the word prudence. Um, The word prudence is not a word that we use very often anymore. I looked up one of those kind of like word usage things. It's gone down quite a bit in the last 200 years. Um, To be prudent is not something that we talk about very often. Um, Since we're unfamiliar with the word, let me just give you the dictionary definition. Um, To be prudent is to be careful or wise in handling practical matters. Exercising good judgment or common sense. And so to be, to be prudent is to know what to pursue and what to avoid. Right? This is pretty close to St. Thomas Aquinas' definition. He said, prudence is love choosing wisely between the things that help and those that hinder. Prudence is the knowledge of what to seek and what to avoid. Right? So choosing wisely between what helps and what hinders. Now, at the end of chapter 7, we were given a visual picture of what that looks like, um, um, the way to imagine this choice. We were presented with the idea of paths. We were shown a path that leads to life and a path that leads to death. Summarized for us in Proverbs 15, where it says, The path of life leads upward for the prudent, that he may turn away from Sheol beneath. And so being prudent is being on the path of life, And it's to turn away from all that leads to death. And so as we're introduced to Lady Wisdom here, and as she's about to speak to us, she's going to describe to us what it looks like to choose the right path, why we should choose it, how we should choose it. So let's learn to be prudent from Lady Wisdom. Proverbs chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 1. It says this. It says, Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the height beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. 
Now, if you've been with us through the Proverbs series, that might sound familiar. Um, uh, there's a very similar introduction to Lady Wisdom in chapter 2. Um, um, it describes her in the streets and at the gates, raising her voice and making wisdom available. Um, and when we preached through that, or when I preached through that in chapter 2, um, I said that, that this is showing us that wisdom is never far from us. It's always available. She is shouting. God's truth is there for us. And so the issue is not that God's wisdom is far from us, but that other voices are drowning it out. Now here we have a similar scene, but it's a little bit different. Um, it says that she is at the gates of the city, but so, this time it says that the, the city lives at a crossroads. In other words, there's two different paths. Lady Wisdom is encouraging the young men to take the path to the city of God. And so it's less about all of the voices that are out there. It's less about sort of being drowned out. Now it is, there are two different options. You can hear the truth and you can still choose the wrong path. So there's a choice that needs to be made, and Lady Wisdom is going to do her best to encourage the young man to choose wisely. Now, before we get into her words, I want to make it very clear um, that she's not just offering one of two options. Right? This is not a situation where it's kind of like, there's some pros and cons either way. No, there's a drastic difference between the path to life and the path to death. Both offer a structure for life. Both paths are going to give you a sense of what to pursue and what to avoid. Both paths will seem right to the people who are on it. But one leads to life, and one leads to death. And so this is not two different variations on life. It's not like both can go well if you kind of live them out right. No, one is in line with God and will put you in rhythm with the universe, leading to healthy relationships and flourishing, the other one will be littered with destruction. And if we listen to wisdom, if we choose to take on God's definition of sin and humanity and holiness, then this decision becomes obvious. If you see what God is offering, you don't go, hmm, maybe death is a good choice. Right? Now the problem for us is that we always have one foot in this world. And so our perspective on this is always twisted. It is always off. And so for us, the path to death doesn't look that bad. And the path to life isn't as clearly good as it should be. And so we tend to turn this drastic choice, life or death, into one of preference. We tend to go, yeah, different people like different things. And so instead of having conversations about what is good and what is pure and what is true, we tend to kind of go, to each his own. And this is why we need Lady Wisdom. We need her help because she helps us to see things as they actually are. And so as she speaks, we should listen with open ears, knowing that the truth that she speaks is not accessible to us without her. This is what she says, verse 4. She says, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I am able to speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands, 
and write to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. All right, so Lady Wisdom's speech is, is in four parts. This is the first part. Um, rough outline of the four parts is uh, the first section is about the nature of wisdom. That's what we just read. The second section is about what wisdom does in practice or prudence. The third connects wisdom to the fullness of creation. And the fourth part of her speech uh, implores us to take wisdom seriously based on everything else that has been presented. Um, so we're going to look at the first two parts of her speech t- this week, and we'll, we'll look at the last two next week. And so we start here with a description of what wisdom is. Now, when we say wisdom, what we're talking about is an absolute truth that rules over all creation. And not only that is it, is it over creation and, and in creation, but as we've said, it can be discovered, it can be found. Now, next week, we're going to talk specifically about how it's woven into the fabric of this world um, and how we can find it. But for now, I just want to make it clear that, that truth, that wisdom are not just ideological terms. We're not just talking about things that live up there. They are a very specific set of rules and order that we can apply to our lives. It is a way to live. Now, we live in a world that wants to define the norm by the outliers. In a desire to not see anyone left out, we're willing to declare everything a gray area, all truth subjective. And Lady Wisdom comes in and says, that is foolish. To throw out virtue and truth for the sake of inclusivity puts us in a place where there are no standards. And without a truth as a starting point, there is no way to build a cohesive worldview. There's no way for us to work together as community. There's no way for us to challenge each other and grow. Because everything's just sort of about what feels right or works in the moment. This will cause us to operate as a bunch of unconnected individuals trying to establish our own self-defined wisdom. Does that sound familiar? That is the world we live in. This is why our culture feels so fractured and in conflict, because it is. We don't actually know what we're doing. We don't know who we are. We can't get on the same page because we don't even agree that there is a page. Lady Wisdom is here to then bring us back to the source to say there is a starting point. There are some things that we need to agree on. And before showing us how this truth practically works out, she simply wants us to understand what wisdom is. What is this truth that we are being offered? The first thing that she says is that her truth is right. She says, so I will speak noble things and from my lips will come what is right. So not only is there a truth that defines and rules over all things, she is here to give it to us. She tells us that her words are right, they are true. What she is saying here is that everything that comes from God through her can be trusted completely. Now that's a bold statement. I would say that is actually something that we can all nod our heads and agree to, but when you actually think what that means, that is hard for us to grasp. Because we are not used to being able to trust anything completely. This is why we're anxious and unsure all the time. Because one of our greatest fears is believing a lie and building our life on something that is not true. That's one of my greatest fears. I don't want to be duped. I don't want to be the idiot who believed the thing that was wrong. 
And so to keep ourselves safe, we don't really believe anything too deeply or commit ourselves to anything too completely. Well, not everyone. There are, there are people, we call them extremists, who do believe things completely, and often they believe the wrong things completely, which just continues to justify in us keeping everything at arm's length. It's why we hedge our bets. But the problem is not in how much you believe, it's in the object of your trust. Right? To put all of your eggs in one basket is ideal if you have a good basket. It only actually becomes a problem when you can't trust where you put it. And so Lady Wisdom here is assuring us that we can trust completely everything that comes from God. As the creator of the universe, his truth forms the foundations of the world. And so when he speaks to us, we must remove this lens of criticism that we have all the time and trust him wholeheartedly. Now, this especially has great implication on how we read our Bibles. Everything else in the world that we interact with is a potential source of wisdom. And what I mean is because God's truth is in the world, um, it may have been found by this doctor, by this sociologist, or by this academic. So when we're reading their stuff, when we're interacting with them, we should. And we should go, hey, let's see what they have. Let's, 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 let's look at it with interest, but also with discernment. But when we come to God's word, we are coming to his truth revealed to us. And so we don't have to filter it through our protective systems where we grab the parts we like and reject the parts we don't. No, the Bible is giving us truth. And so rather than reading the Bible and sort of protecting our already formed ideology from the Bible, and we do this all the time, we should let the truth of the Bible come in and challenge us. We should let it break down all of the things that we have built up in our lives that we have believed, maybe for a long time. Now, this is difficult, especially because of the second thing that Lady Wisdom says um, about wisdom. She says, her truth is pure. She says, all the words in my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. The reason why the Bible is really, really hard for us is because it is righteousness unfiltered. Right? One of the attributes of God is his holiness. Holiness means otherness. A complete purity that is untouched by any level of corruption. And in the Bible, you see that anyone who interacts with God, who truly interacts with the glory of God, with his holiness, can't handle it. They fall on their face. They declare themselves unclean. Their faces shine for days, which kind of cool. But all of this because the purity of God's holiness burns out all imperfections. When you stand in the presence of God's holiness, it reveals to you that you are twisted and crooked. And the same thing happens to us when we come to God's word. Not in the same dramatic way. It'd be really cool if every time you read your Bible, your face glowed. Love it. I could know who's actually reading their Bible and who's not. <laughs> Sorry, where am I? <laughs> when we come to our Bibles, though, we read... Pure wisdom that's not adjusted based on modern considerations or human categories, right? It is, it is truth without all of the noise, which can be really jarring. I mean, when you read the way that God sort of callously talks about sin deserving death, that's not comfortable. 
Some of the ways that God defines human beings are not how we would like to think of ourselves. Some of the things that he calls abominations and sin are not what we would put on the list. And while this purity can be shocking and can be very difficult, it's also refining. Because the same challenge that causes us to sort of pull back is the power that changes us. Now, I would say the additional difficulty of this, this, this holiness is that when we are conformed by and to God's truth, the things that we say and believe are now going to have a jarring effect on others. Think about this. When we embrace God's truth, we now take on certain aspects of that holiness that we used to actually not want to be in the presence of. And so other people will act jarringly to you. It's difficult for me to see sometimes how harshly people react to God's truth, how offensive it is to them, because I see it as life-giving. The same things that they are going, oh, that's disgusting. How can you believe in a God like that? I'm like, that is beautiful. But this shouldn't surprise us. right? The same tr- truth that once shocked us is now going to shock others when we embody it. And in some ways, this is confirmation of God's truth. Because there's a lot of truth claims that people make that you can simply just ignore. Right? You can believe that. I'm not going to believe that. But God's truth cannot be so easily tolerated. It's either necessary or despised. Which brings us to the third aspect of, of wisdom that Lady Wisdom lays out. Oh. She says her truth is valuable. She says, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Now, we've heard similar claims to this throughout Proverbs. We actually read one from Deuteronomy. We go, what is it that makes wisdom so valuable? What's that possessing wisdom gives you a tool that can be applied to any and every situation. It actually helps you no matter what. She connects this to money here. Now, money can be helpful in a lot of situations, right? It makes the world go round. But there's a lot of situations in which money cannot help you. It cannot buy love. It does very little to heal relational conflict. It does very little to develop character, which I would say, based on a lot of kids who are raised with money, proves to be true. Right? There are a great many issues in this world to which money is not the answer. And when you have put your value in that, these parts of your life are going to continue to deteriorate as you continue to throw money at them. And I would say this is also a poor political strategy. It's how we try to solve a lot of problems. Money will help. Eh. But wisdom, wisdom will help in all of these situations. It helps to organize life in a constructive way. You can have a lot of money and have an absolutely tragic life, and too often they actually go together. But if you are wise, you can always find ways to make money when you need it. The value, though, comes in this complex and rich web of relationships and structures that you have supporting and building you up. Wisdom doesn't just provide you with one thing you need, it provides you with all that you need. Now, Lady Wisdom is going to show us how this works. She's going to show us how being prudent helps us to reap the benefits of a life of wisdom as she continues on here in verse 12. 
She says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasures. So she says, wisdom dwells with prudence. What Lady Wisdom is saying here is that the way of life that she is offering provides the appropriate response to every situation in life. It is the right way every time. Now, it is worth noting that embodying truth, the truth of God and applying it to our lives is something that is a reoccurring theme in Proverbs. Right? Proverbs 14, 15 tells us, the, sim- the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thoughts to his steps. So prudence is about the means to discover truth where it may be. In Proverbs 22, we also show, it also shows that it helps us find what is false. It says the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. So being prudent begins with being able to find what is right and to avoid what is evil, as we said before, to act on it. C.S. Lewis reminds us it is universally practical. He says prudence means practical common sense, taking the trouble to think out what you are doing and what likely is to come of it. In all of this, we see that God's wisdom reveals to us, helps us to find what is good, right, to find knowledge and discretion, and by applying it to bring about the best possible outcome for ourselves and for others. Now, Lady Wisdom kind of gets into to the trenches and shows us how this works. First thing that she tells us is that prudence means hating properly. And she says, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Now, I want to touch on this because I think that um, being human makes all of us naturally humanists. Um, and by humanists, I mean that our starting point for morality and ethics tends to be the human person. Uh, many Christians actually believe that this is the working out of love your neighbor as yourself. The problem is that using people as the ultimate source of meaning leads us to accepting a lot of things that God declares evil. In order to try and attempt to love people, we actually start going against what God says is wrong. We end up supporting evils that are hurting our neighbors because we don't really understand how they work. And so in the name of love, we create the environment for destruction. And what Lady Wisdom tells us here is the only way to properly avoid destruction is to hate what God hates. The way to get our passions and our emotions aligned with his is to fear him more than we fear people. Proverbs 1 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Here we see also that it is the beginning of prudence. Because you cannot begin to navigate this life in a faithful way if you have not put God in the position of ultimate authority. To use C.S. Lewis's definition, you can't truly have common sense at all unless you let God be God. She then builds on that. She says, prudence means actually following God's way. I have counsel. I have sound wisdom, she says. Um, We looked at the nature of wisdom. Um, It provides us with what is right, pure, and what is valuable. 
Um, Sadly, even though we know that, even though we believe that, even though we nod our heads to that, we never actually apply it to our lives. God's wisdom becomes something that is, a, a, again, it's an option. To live a prudent life does not mean that you just know what is right. It means you actually do it. You actually choose it over all other options. It's a pretty simple concept. Really hard to live out. Next, she says, prudence makes the world just. She says, by me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. Um, I just did an equip class on justice and mercy. Um, And one of the main points that I had was that God has given us the means to have a just and equitable society. That he has actually provided us with with the structure and with the understanding of what justice and mercy are. Now, sin is always at play and, and mess with this, and so I'm not a utopian, um, which means I don't believe that simply getting our laws and our leaders right will solve everything. But we can't let the existence of evil in the world stop us from doing our part to bring healing. We shouldn't allow the, the, the fact that sin is in the world to make us go, well, God's truth doesn't apply anymore because there's sin here. No, we have the wisdom of God. We know what the world needs and we have the ability to bring out a more just existence simply by living prudently. Next, she says that prudence will make money a smaller part of your life. She says, riches and honor are with me. Um, uh, the Bible and, and Proverbs in particular link wealth and faithfulness. Kind of seen it already through this sermon. Um, now, this can be distorted to mean that God will make you rich if you follow him. Um, But I've also seen a lot of people go the other way and just basically throw it all out and go, that promise has nothing to it. God isn't actually talking about wealth at all. No, there's a practical reality here. And I would say Jesus hits on it in the Sermon on the Mount in a section about not being anxious. In a section about being anxious, God says that he feeds the bird, or Jesus says he feeds the birds of the air and clothes the lilies of the field. And then he says this in Matthew 6, 31. He says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The principle here is not that God will give you whatever you want. It's not that that, that all of a sudden the, the more faithful you are, the more stuff you will have but that following him will give you a proper understanding of your needs and he and will help you make the decisions to get them. Right? So there's a practical reality here. Being wise will actually help you secure the things that you need. But also focusing on God's kingdom will make you content with what you have. What we really need is not more things. What all of us need is, is, is the proper way to view our possessions and our money. For money to just be money. Not to dominate our life in the way that it does. Not to take over our schedules and take over our concerns and and turn into one of the major things that breaks up marriages. What wisdom does is it puts money in its place. It is a temporary tool to accomplish kingdom principles. And with that, money loses a lot of the power, especially a lot of the negative power that it has on your life. Last thing she says here is that prudence has a lasting value. She says, granting an inheritance to those who love me. 
Um, Due to the fact that, that God's truth are eternal principles, living them out has long-term benefits. Um, I say this all the time, but so often our decision-making is driven um, by trying to get what we want right now through something that we can do quickly. But investing in God's way means putting a deposit into something that will live on beyond you. It is living for a good that is bigger than you, that will, that will go on and out into the world in ways that you cannot control and that you will never understand. Lady Wisdom promises here that living a prudent life means trusting God to use our obedience to do a work that is bigger than what we can see or imagine. And so prudence is bringing God's eternal truth practically into this life, but it's also connecting our daily existence to his eternal reality. It makes all of life far more important. It's recognizing that we are always operating within God's plan while also seeing that his grand plan applies personally to our lives. Every week when we come here, we're doing the same thing. Every week when we come here, we are taking time out of our schedule, out of our practical life, to come and see how God is working for and in us. And every week when we come forward for communion, we are trusting in him to provide what we need to live full and complete lives. When we take the bread and the cup, we are admitting that we need him not only for salvation, but to get through the next day and to get through the next week. And when we partake, we are saying, God, I trust you to provide what I need to do this. So as you come to the table today, come with the expectation that what Jesus offers us is not just an option. It's not just one of many, but that he has provided us with the means to have life abundant. And that we can be prudent simply by living in communion with him. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for all that you have done for us. um, All that you continue to do for us. And God, so often we know our own limitations. We know the limits of our own wisdom. And it it sort of stops us. And yet, God, when we come to your word, you make all these promises that say, sound so big and so grand, and it seems like more than what could possibly be real. And so I just pray that you would show us how little we actually offer to the grand scheme of things. God, help us to see how big you truly are and how much you can do with the very little that we have to offer. God, I pray that you would continue to make us smaller and you bigger in our own minds and hearts. Thank you so much for loving us. As the psalmist says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Who are we that you would even care? And yet you do. Help us to be amazed by that. Help us to be thankful for that. Remind us of what that means as we come to your table today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.